gather together and we place ourselves under your word, Lord, the very thing that gives us everything we need for life and for faith. And we ask now this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts and desires, questions of all of our hearts, Lord, would come together and be pleasing to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're uh, looking at this passage of scripture that comes from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this very famous sermon that Jesus gives uh, towards the end of the sermon where Jesus is kind of beginning to wrap up all that he has said and he wraps things up by getting very personal, by kind of taking it to his listeners, to his disciples, to ask them what are they going to take away from this. And the Sermon on the Map, on the Mount, um, of course, covers uh, a number of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters five, six, and seven, and it's also recounted in the Gospel of Luke in almost in almost as much detail. But what the Sermon on the Mount really is is Jesus's moment to teach his disciples, and what he's teaching them. Even though there's a big crowd listening in, he's really focused on teaching his disciples what it means to copy him, what it means to obey him. In other words, what it means to live life the way that God has meant for us to live. That's what he's showing them. That's what he's talking about. And in this part of the sermon, uh, Jesus kind of lets us in on a deal, right? He promises something to us, that simply seems too good to be true, right? It seems, in other words, unrealistic. And so the question we want to ask today is, how do we respond to this deal that Jesus is letting us in on? How do we react to a promise that seems too good to be true? And we could react to that promise in a number of different ways, Um, But this morning, I want us to see how Jesus is speaking directly to those of us today who may be reluctant, to those of us who may be disappointed, and to those of us who may be skeptical, to the reluctant, to the disappointed, and to the skeptical. And so how does he speak in this passage to those of us who may be reluctant? Look with me at verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. This truly is an extraordinary promise that Jesus makes. That this is how we are to approach God. To see him in this way. To have a kind of openness in our communication with him. And sometimes I think we hear something like this and it just seems too hard to believe. Too good to be true. And we're reluctant. We're actually reluctant to believe it's true. How could such an open-ended promise be true? I was reading one uh, scholar and commentator this week, and he was saying that maybe our reluctance to believe a promise like this isn't really about our lack of faith in God. Maybe, 
Maybe, just maybe, it's more about our natural human reluctance. Uh, When we're young, we're taught not to ask for everything, right? Uh, You should go to the grocery store with my children. I have a (laughs) four-and-a-half-year-old and and an almost three-year-old. And as we walk the aisles, they are asking for everything, right? And we're always saying, no, you, you can't have everything, right? You can't just ask for everything, And as we get older, it feels uh, to us like those who are always asking for things are kind of a bit needy, right? We're we're thinking of them as being maybe too selfish, too self-centered. They're always concerned about themselves. And so maybe it's not always about our lack of faith in God. Maybe it's more about this kind of self-conscious reluctance that we have to come to God at all because we've been taught or expected not to ask for things. And here's where we're really confronted by this this morning. Maybe it's not selfish at all to ask God for things. What if that's exactly what a three-year-old in a grocery store is supposed to do? To turn to their parents and to ask And maybe that's exactly what you and I are supposed to do with our Heavenly Father. Have you ever thought about why you may be reluctant to ask God for something? Why you're reluctant, perhaps, to seek Him, to knock on His door? Uh, I think we all know that this can be abused, right? We Heard that famous song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Of course we know that this kind of thought can go off the rails and be abused by ourselves. That certainly is selfish. But maybe for some of us, for those of us who are reluctant, it's not so much about asking God for the wrong things. For some of us, perhaps, we're not asking God for the right things. We're not asking God for anything at all. And all of this points us back to what Jesus has been talking about throughout this sermon. If you get the chance to read through it in detail at one point, what you see is that Jesus is always driving his disciples back to see that they have a Father in heaven, one who is open to them, who is open to us. And so why Why are we so often reluctant to ask him, to seek him, to knock on his door? But secondly, what about those of us who are disappointed? What does this passage say to us? Perhaps some of you uh, here this morning have been following Jesus for a very long time. Maybe some of you are new to following Jesus and life is just very difficult right now. And you've been asking, and you've been seeking him, and you've been knocking on the door of heaven. And you're disappointed because it seems like this great promise that Jesus makes just isn't true. That the answers aren't there. They haven't come yet. And so you're disappointed. And what can happen when we're disappointed is that 
we actually begin to fill in the answers for God ourselves. And so we begin to insert our own answers into our asking and seeking of God, into our own prayers. Thomas Merton wrote this. He said, What is the use of praying if at the very moment of prayer we have so little confidence in God that we are busy planning our own kind of answer to our prayer? How true is that? We do that because we're so often disappointed. We say, listen, I have tried. I've tried to take this to God. And it just doesn't feel like it's working. And this promise that Jesus makes seems to be a a bad one. He just can't seem to keep it for me. But when we find ourselves here, we have to remember that prayer, in many ways, is a mystery. Prayer is not a linear exercise. Prayer is not A that connects to B, B that connects to C and down the line. Prayer is the mystery of our relationship with God. Archbishop William Temple famously said this, that when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying... The coincidences stop happening. What is he saying? That God is doing something when we pray, when we go to him. That he absolutely is, even in your disappointment in him, he is doing something. And prayer becomes that place where we are free to bring all of ourselves, our whole self, before God. And when you bring your whole self before God, what we begin to see is how all of the little areas of our lives that seemingly seem disconnected, they begin to work together. Oh yeah, look over there. Look how God is doing something. And look over here, what God is doing. They begin to happen, to come together. We begin to see them come together. When I pray coincidences happen. But believe me, I know that disappointment is very real. And it can completely derail us. It can completely keep us from coming to God in the way that Jesus is inviting us to come to him in this passage. I heard a pastor once talk about um, that famous place in the book of Philippians where the Apostle Paul is saying, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, with all that's going on in your life, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. In everything, with thanksgiving, ask of God. And this pastor said, you know, this is top-shelf Christianity right here. This is not the easy part. This is not easy to grasp at all. This is the mature stuff of faith. How do we give thanks in everything when we ask of God? And he said this, that it's giving thanks for every outcome. We give thanks in everything by giving thanks for every potential outcome. All the different kinds of things that could happen with every kind of outcome for us to give thanks in advance because God is that good and he's that 
in control. And you can only do that. You can only do that if you truly believe that God is your father. That not getting the job that you may want is right where you need to be and right where he wants you to be. Do you see how that works? Look at verse 9. Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, believing the promise that Jesus makes to us, even when we're disappointed, means truly believing that we have a Father who, when we ask for bread, is not going to give us rocks. But, wow, does that take maturity to believe. Does that take faith to believe, giving thanks for any and every outcome in advance. And so I know some of you are disappointed this morning. I've been extremely disappointed in recent times. And I have had trouble believing the promise that Jesus makes, that we have a Father ready to answer what we ask. It's hard for us to grasp at times. But what do I come back to? And what can you come back to in the midst of your disappointment? I come back to the fact that Jesus said it, that he promised me, and that he has promised you. He promised you, and I believe because Jesus died and rose from the dead, that I can believe his promises, that I can stand on it as true, even through the disappointment. And so we see how Jesus is speaking to those who are reluctant, those who are disappointed. But how does he speak to us, those who may be skeptical? And maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe some of you are here and you don't uh, call yourself a Christian. Maybe uh, the doubt for you is still outweighing faith. And so maybe you hear this promise that Jesus makes and you think, you know, this kind of all sounds... uh, Like you're thinking about God as a genie in a bottle. Whenever you need, you can just ask him for things and he will pop up and answer what you want. How can I accept that? How can you expect me to believe that? But that's what praying and seeking and knocking with thanksgiving for every outcome guards against. If we go into our asking and seeking of God giving praise for every outcome, whatever it may be, it guards against this selfish idea of going to God with the things that we want and expecting him to deliver in the way we want. It's not about the Mercedes. It's about feeling the love of God, our Father, a truly good Father. So even if you're here and you're skeptical about all of this, I would venture to say that... um, Every one of us, at some point in our life, has cried out to God. And maybe we didn't know exactly what we were doing or how to do it or that we were asking him or seeking him, but we have all done it. Because prayer is truly a global phenomenon. 
We know that every culture, every people group has some form of crying out, some form of seeking God. Karl Barth once said this, prayer is our longing for him, our incurable God sickness. Our incurable God sickness. We all have it. We all, whether we realize it or not, have this longing for God, asking of God, seeking him. We're knocking on the door. It's our incurable God sickness. We are longing for a good heavenly father. One of my favorite movies of the last few years uh, is a movie called Boyhood. And it won a number of Oscars uh, last year, I think. And it was really unusual because uh, it was filmed over the course of 12 years using the same actors, following this family story as they all aged. And so you saw the actors and the children grow up as they filmed this movie. And uh, one of my absolute favorite scenes, it's a difficult scene for me, Uh, But it's my favorite is of this young boy who's entered into his kind of teenage years. He's a little bit uh, angry. He's disappointed. His parents are divorced. Uh, And you watch him through this film grow from a six-year-old boy to an 18-year-old adult. And in the middle of those teenage years, he loves his dad's car. His dad's got one of these kind of classic muscle cars. Um, and he loves that car. And at one point in the movie, he's driving with his dad in this car. He's probably about 12 or 13 years old. And the father looks at him and he says, you know, son, one day, one day this car is going to be yours. Of course, the son just lights up. But later in the story, when the boy is 16, um, in those few years between that moment and this scene in the movie, uh, the father gets remarried. Uh, He has another little baby, and they come to pick up the boy Mason, the 16-year-old, for this trip that they're going on. And when the dad pulls up, he pulls up in a minivan. Makes sense, of course. But as he gets in, the son says, where's the car? Where's the car? And his dad says, oh, I sold it. And the son is just shocked. What? Yeah, I had to sell it, the father says. We needed to get the van. And so for a bit, good bit of the ride, the, the son is just completely silent, you know, just stewing inside. And his father's trying to kind of poke and prod to get something out of him. Finally, he just kind of explodes and erupts. And he says, you promised me that that car would be my car one day. And his dad says, what? I, d- I never said that. Did I say that? He didn't remember. The father didn't remember the promise that he made his son. He sold the car without even telling him. For the father, it was just a comment that he made in passing. But for this son, the son held on to that. He put it in the bank. He stored it deep into his heart. He held on to it. And let me tell you, as a father of a young boy... That's terrifying. It is haunting. That there are things that I will maybe say to my son that he will hold on to, that he will store in his heart, and that I will forget. That I will break my promise. 
Jesus says that God our Father longs for us to come to him with every thought, with every desire, with every ask. He wants us to bring the whole of our lives to him. And Jesus says, trust me, trust me. He is not a father who forgets. He's not a father too busy to remember what he has promised you. And so go to him. Ask of him. Seek him. Knock down that door. It's what Jesus is saying our heavenly father longs for. And so let's try it. Let's believe it on this Father's Day that we have a father who does not forget his promise to us. To think and reflect about all the good gifts that you and I have received. And to hear Jesus say, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so let's ask him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that we would have that kind of faith today. Those of us who may be reluctant because we just don't think it's appropriate to ask of you. For those of us who are disappointed because we feel like we've been asking. and Things just aren't turning and working out the way that we think they should. Maybe, God, you feel far away from any today. For those of us who are skeptical, who have always been kind of walking this line of faith and doubt and wondering if it's truly real that you are a God who cares about us, that you are a God who is like a father who promises his children good things. Lord, may we hold on to that. May we see your son Jesus as the greatest gift to us, that you did not withhold the greatest gift from us. You gave him to us. Lord, now, through his death and through his resurrection, we get to come to you knowing that this promise is true because you have said it. And so may we be bold, may we be encouraged on this Father's Day today to think of you anew, to be refreshed in our thought of you as our Father and go to you knowing that you will never forget us, that you will never forget this promise that you have made. We ask these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.